0: Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. In chapter 11, Jesus has raised Lazarus back from the dead, and I will say it one more time, after being dead four days. There is no doubt that Lazarus was dead. He's been buried four days. This will be his last public miracle. And it's the most amazing miracle of them all. This should have clinched in everyone who witnessed it that he is who he says he is. He's more than the Messiah they expect. And he's more than the Messiah they suspect him to be. Because they suspect him to be now the Messiah that they expect. He's the Messiah who, in fact, is the very Son of God made incarnate. And if that stuns you, it's even more. He's the Messiah who is Yahweh himself come in the flesh. Find that out in chapter 8, verse 58. I and the Father are one. Now, this miracle... Did convince many of those we saw from chapter 11 who witnessed it that he was at least the Messiah that they expected so they're becoming convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and we're going to see this as chapter 12 unfolds but it only hardened his enemies, the religious leaders, even more against him I remember hearing some time ago that the same sun that softens and melts butter dries out and melts clay. I mean, it dries out and hardens clay. So if we're perplexed by how anyone could be hardened by hearing about or seeing this miracle, we just have to remember that. That it's the same thing that softens one heart, hardens another heart. So the Sanhedrin begins constructing their plan. They're going to arrest him. They're going to try him. They're going to condemn him. And they're going to use the Romans to execute him. What they're after is to protect their own interest and protect their own position in Israel. So the Lord Jesus moves 15 miles away to a little town called Ephraim. But he's gone for only a few weeks. See the Lord moved because he knows that his great work of sacrificing himself for his sheep is looming. And he and the Father have determined that he will purchase his sheep from their sins on Passover day. And so he's moving away for a while because nothing must interfere with that plan. Now, you're there in John chapter 12, and before we begin to read it, just a reminder that starting here, we enter into the second half of the book. And the second half of the book is all about one week. Beginning in chapter 12, this is the last week of the Lord Jesus' earthly life. So follow along as I read aloud, please. Jesus, therefore, now remember, he's out in in, uh, Ephraim. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a litre of perfume, a very costly, pure. Nard And anointed the feet of Jesus And wiped his feet with her hair And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume But Judas Iscariot One of his disciples Who was going to betray him said Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii And given to the poor Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor But because he was a thief And as he had the money box, he used to take from what was put into it. And you can add in parentheses there for his own personal use. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Back to verse 1. We're told that after spending some time there in Ephraim with his disciples. And of course many people would have gone out to Ephraim to see him. And to hear him. Because the news about Lazarus has spread like wildfire throughout all Judea. And probably Galilee too. After he's been there a while, six days before the Passover. Jesus and his disciples are coming back to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's interesting, as one of my commentators said, there's no record of any time in Jesus' ministry that he stayed in Jerusalem. He always went outside of Jerusalem to spend the night. He would come to Jerusalem for ministry, and then he would leave and go somewhere else to spend the night. So, knowing what's waiting for him in Jerusalem, knowing what's looming in front of him, He's coming to the last Passover which as Pastor Jonathan so eloquently described to us last week is going to be transferred into the Lord's Supper while Jesus has that last Passover with his disciples. As he's coming back he stops off in Bethany. Now remember Bethany is only a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And he stops off there because that's where his friends are. He's walking into his enemy's back room and so it's nice to have a few days with your friends before you walk into your enemy's basement so to speak Mary Martha Lazarus are there and we're reminded here in verse 1 that he is Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead as if we needed to be reminded but the emphasis is there He's going to spend time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And then it says in verse 2, So they made him a supper there. Well, of course they would. I mean, Jesus has raised our brother from the dead. And he's been gone for several weeks. And now, hey everybody, Jesus is here. And so, obviously they're going to make him a, a dinner party. But notice... That it's not at Lazarus house. You say where do you get that? Both Matthew 26 and Mark 14 tell us that this dinner party took place in the house of Simon the leper. Yeah. Hmm. How can they have a dinner party in the house of a man who's a leper? Well he was a leper. But he's not a leper anymore. Jesus has cleansed them at some point during his ministry. We have no idea. I mean we have to be reminded again. At the end of John we're told that Jesus did so many things that if they were all written down the world wouldn't be able to contain the books. We have no idea how many lepers Jesus cleansed during his ministry. And by the way what a leper needed more than healing was cleansing. He needed cleansing. Because leprosy was the result of a curse from God for sin. And all lepers understood that. And all the lepers would say, I I can remember the one leper in particular crying out, Jesus, son of David, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. Be cleansed. So here's a man that the Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed. And I'm going to throw a spoiler in here. As a leper, Simon would have been cut off from society. He would have been cut off from his family. He couldn't have a job. He had to separate himself and stay away from everyone else. When anyone came near him, he would have to warn them and cry out, Unclean, unclean. So they would not become defiled by coming in contact with him. So that means he can't live in his house, he can't live with his family, he can't hold a job with other people, he can't worship in the synagogue, he can't go to the temple. He's isolated because of whatever sin he's committed. And Jesus gave him his life back. He raised Lazarus from the dead and gave him his life back. And he cleansed Simon and gave him his life back. And we also know that it's Simon the leper's house is where this party here in John chapter 12 takes place. Because you notice it says in verse 2 that Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. If it was Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house, you wouldn't need to say that. Because obviously he would be reclining at the table in his own house. So we're being reminded here, this is at the house... Of Simon the leper. And you think about it. What kind of gratitude must have filled that house that night? I I mean. (laughs) Here's Simon saying. And I'll repeat myself. This is the man that gave me my life back. I can worship now. I can sleep in my own bed with my own wife now. I can hold my children now. I can take up my work again. I can be, I've can i been received back into the community. I'm one of God's people, among God's people again. You gave me my life back. And then, of course, you've got Mary and Martha. You gave us our brother back. He was dead. And you raised him from the dead. And you gave him his life back. And of course Lazarus is sitting there. Lord you brought me from the dead. And you brought me back to life. And you gave me my family back. It's interesting. Lazarus never says anything in the gospels. And you could expect that at this dinner party. There had to be people there. I mean, we know that there's at least 17 people there. Do the math. So it has to be a pretty good sized house. But there had to be people that were asking Lazarus, What was it like when you were separated from your body? What was it like? Why isn't that listed here? Why isn't that recorded? It's not important. This is about Jesus. Not about Lazarus. Yeah. And notice... In verse 2, that it says specifically, Martha was serving. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, of course Martha's serving. That's what Martha does. Martha's a server. She wants to do that. But notice this time there's no grumbling. There's no, Lord, tell my sister to come and help me. No, she's serving and she has other ladies helping her serve. And she's serving with a glad heart. Jesus gave me my brother back. And I'm going to feed him tonight. Boy am I going to feed him tonight. And then in verse 3 we're told. That Mary. Took a litre. Of perfume. a very costly. Pure nard. Now we've got to get the picture here. Nard. Nard was a perfume. It was the resin of a bush. That grows in the Himalaya mountains. Try to get your head around that. This is a resin the scrape from a bush that grows in the Himalayas or the Himalaya mountains, however you pronounce it. No wonder it's so expensive. Think about what it costs to transport that nard All the way from the east of India. Across the whole subcontinent of India. Down to a port. Loaded onto a boat. Now you're moving it on donkeys and camels. So you're not moving very fast. It's going to take you days and days. Maybe weeks to get it to a port. You get to a port. They load it onto a boat in a port. A week. Maybe two weeks later. It's going to come across the Arabian Sea. Up the Red Sea. It's going to come to a a, a port on the Red Sea, it's going to be unloaded, put back on donkeys, put it back on camels, whatever. The transportation cost would have been huge for something like this. But not only that, this is a very rare, expensive perfume in and of itself. And notice what it says here very costly, pure nard. Now, obviously, most of the perfume made from this bush that was sold on the market would have been diluted. I mean, it's going to be extremely expensive to begin with. So you dilute it with whatever you dilute perfume with in order to make it more affordable and still going to be outrageously expensive. But this is the pure perfume. This has not been diluted. This is the most expensive nard that you can get and she has a litre a litre is half a liter which would be about a pint she has a pint of this stuff which would have weighed about 12 ounces which would have been a Roman pound and so some uh, verses say it was a pound of pure nard which has been about 12 ounces worth And it cost, we're told later on from Judas and, by the way, some of the other disciples' complaint, that it was worth a year's wage. It would have cost a year's wage. Now, think about how much you make now. That's how much it would cost. You take your whole income after taxes. That's how much it would have cost to buy that pint of perfume. So the question, you know, (laughs) before I get into this next thing, you just do the math. How are you going to pay for, you can't pay a year's wage for anything. So what you do, you say, I'm going to take 10% of every paycheck and I'm going to put it away, put it away, put it away. 10 years later, you finally have enough to buy this jar of perfume. 10 years later. Now, we don't know how Mary came into possession of the nard. Where she got the money. Maybe they had inherited a huge amount of money from their father. We, we don't know what that was. But this is a, a year's salary's worth of ointment in a jar. And we don't know why she has it. Did she save up all, the, all that time? And, and what would she have done to earn money? These are things we're not told. Maybe she had bought it and was keeping it and saving it for her wedding day. And maybe the plan was, just maybe, the plan was she was going to anoint herself and her husband and her brother and her sister and all of the wedding guests. This is a pint of perfume, a pint And so she was going to anoint everyone there at the wedding with this sweet smelling perfume. And so she's saving it. For whatever reason, she's been saving this. And with all the speculation and all the conjecture, we can know one thing for sure. This jar of perfume was her most precious possession. And it was her most valuable possession. Notice what it says there. She took that jar of perfume and she anointed the feet of Jesus. Mm. Matthew 26 and Mark 14 tell us that it was in an alabaster jar. It had no lid. It was a sealed alabaster jar. The only way to open it was to break it so when you open the jar when you break it it's all or nothing you have to use it all up when you open it up and we're we're told here that she anointed the feet of jesus but matthew and mark tell us that she anointed the head of jesus so is there a discrepancy in the bible is there a contradiction in the bible of course not remember what we saw back in verse 1 they're reclining at the table The Lord jesus that's the way they ate we know that that the Lord Jesus and the other dinner guests are reclining at table so when Mary came out with this jar she broke it and she poured it at his head and then she backed away and poured it on his feet and then it says she wiped his feet with her hair that's a lot of perfume and Jesus got it all so she's wiping up the excess but she's wiping it up with her hair she's not using a towel she's not using her best dress she's using her hair that's absolutely abject humility of letting her hair down and using her hair as a towel. What subjection to a Messiah. What subjection to the Son of God. You have to remember that women in that day always covered their hair. And they wore their hair up like you have tonight. They, they wore their hair up so it wouldn't be in the way when they were doing their work but they kept their head covered if you were a decent lady you had your head covered only prostitutes walk around with their hair uncovered that's one of the ways that you knew that she was a prostitute if she had her hair uncovered and here comes Mary into the room she breaks the jar she walks up to the table to Jesus head she anoints his head she's pouring it she anoints his feet She drops at his feet again. Remember she was at his feet when he was teaching? She was at his feet when Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead? And now she's at his feet again? And she removes her covering. They figure, well, she's going to wipe up the excess. No, not with the covering. And she unties her hair. And she uses her long, beautiful lady hair... To wipe the Lord Jesus' feet like a towel. That would have startled everybody that was there. You see what she's done? She's laid all her self respect aside. She's laid all her expectations from society, all the propriety of society as a righteous, free woman. All that's been laid aside. She's taken the place of a slave. Serving and honoring her divine king. It's like another woman who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Remember Luke 7? There's a woman that's described as a sinner. That has to be a euphemism. Uh, she was either an adulteress or she was a promiscuous fornicator or she was a prostitute, one or the other. But she was a sinner. And everybody in the town knew she was a sinner. They knew what she was. But she had heard Jesus. And she had believed Jesus. And he had turned her inside out. She had come to repent of her sins. She had seen God as he is and she saw herself as she is. And Jesus offered her forgiveness. And Jesus offered her life. We have no idea when she heard him. And we don't, we don't know what he was preaching. But how many times has he said, come to me and have life? Yeah. How many times has he said, he who believes in me has eternal life? And she's saying, that's exactly what I need. I need life. And she had repented of her sins and trusted him. And she was new. But not in the eyes of everybody else still in town. They don't know her newness yet. But Jesus is at another Simon's dinner party. This is Simon the Pharisee. This lady knows that Jesus is there. And so she breaks into the dinner party. It wouldn't have been hard. As soon as she showed up at the door, everybody else would have moved away from her like oil moving away from water. They would have moved away from her as if she had the plague, as if she had smallpox. They would have made sure that she didn't in any way contaminate them so she had a wide open door to come in and she went straight for Jesus. And the Bible says that she fell at his feet and began to weep because of what she was and weep for joy over what he had done for her. And she began to wet his feet and wash his feet with her tears. And everybody else is sitting back saying, this man can't be a prophet because if he was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. Jesus knows what kind of woman she is. She's a new woman. And she undoes her hair, as she begins to dry his feet that she's washing with her tears, with her hair, in utter abject Humility and submission not caring what anybody else is thinking, not caring what anybody else sees, this is the man who gave me my life back this is the man who made me right with my God and the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 7 that after she had washed his feet with her tears she anointed his feet with perfume mm. That's at the beginning of of Jesus' ministry. This unnamed woman, this unnamed sister in Christ, if we want to put it like that. She washes his feet and, and dries them with her hair and anoints his feet with perfume at the beginning of his ministry. And I hear Sister Mary anointing his feet and wiping them with her hair at the end of his public ministry. And they have the same love and the same gratitude and the same wonder over this man, Jesus. And they have bowed to and they have anointed their king. And everybody who saw Mary do that was filled with awe. No. Wish I could say that, but no. Look at verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, One of his disciples, one of his disciples, who is going to betray him, said, and we know what he said, why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Matthew and Mark, when they're describing this situation, say, why this waste? Why was this perfume wasted? And in Matthew and Mark, it's not just Judas, it's some of the other of the twelve who also joined in with the criticism here we get an insight into Judas though it's interesting that he knew exactly how much a pint of pure nard was worth he knew how much money everything was worth but he had no clue how much Jesus is worth to a condemned sinner money was everything to him He's even willing to steal from the common purse that was entrusted to him. People would give them money. Uh, we're told in the other in the synoptics that some of the the women that accompanied Jesus and the disciples, and that would have been a scandal. Some of the women helped to support them out of their finances because they were coming from rather well-to-do households. So Judas was entrusted. With the money. He was the treasurer for the group. And that way you would pay for any traveling expenses you had. Or if you came across someone who was poor and in need. Then you could give them alms. But John said that when he said why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. He wasn't concerned about the poor. He just wanted 300. He wanted a year's worth of wages added to the treasury so he could steal it later because he was a thief and he used to take out of the treasury for his own use. You see, Jesus was always nothing more than a money-making scheme for Judas. I mean, he believes who Jesus is. He believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And he believes, along with everybody else, that they're going up to Jerusalem for Jesus' coronation. And he believes that when Jesus becomes king, and is recognized as Messiah, since he's already the treasurer, treasurer for the group, he's going to be made the treasurer of the kingdom. And then he can embezzle to his heart's content and buy all of the jets and all of the yachts and all of the mansions and everything else he can possibly want. And when I was preparing for this, one of the commentaries I've been leaning on is by Comfort and Hawley. And here's a quote that they made. Get this. It's interesting that Christ allows his money to be taken from him but never any of his sheep. John ten twenty seven and 28 My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Mm. So here's Judas and here's at least some of the rest of the twelve criticizing and carping on Mary for wasting the perfume but notice what Jesus does he comes to her defense therefore Jesus said let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial hmm Jesus says let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial verse 8 For you always have the poor with you. And Matthew and Mark add to this. And you can do them a good anytime you want to. But you do not always have me. You do not always have me. They had to puzzle them. Because they haven't heard anything Jesus has said about why he's going up to Jerusalem. How many times has Jesus told them that they're going to Jerusalem so that he would be killed by the elders and the high priest? I mean, Alan, you just read that to us from Mark chapter 10 over and over and over the Lord Jesus Christ says we're going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of the uh, leaders and they're going to turn me over to the Gentiles and they're going to flog me and mock me and humiliate me and kill me and on the third day I'll rise again and what do they do Lord we have a request for you will you do for us whatever we ask well one time he asked them what is it you've been talking about on the road? And they're humiliated. Because they've been talking about who would be greatest in the kingdom. Yeah. Every time that the Lord Jesus Christ told the twelve. What was going to happen to him? It went right over their heads. Because they like Judas. Were distracted only by the thoughts of what they're going to get. Out of this. You remember Peter even in, in Matthew 16. Matthew Jesus says I'm going to be crucified I'm going to rise from the dead and Peter says God forbid Lord this shall never happen to you we can't lose you you're our ticket to greatness you not only have reconciled us to the Father but we 12 you said you told us we're going to be sitting on 12 thrones judging the tribe of Israel Mm. but what does Jesus say Mary got it. Didn't go over her head. Mary's anointing me for the day of my burial. Literally, the day of my laying out. When you, especially in those days, were going to bury someone, you would take the body and you would lay it out. And then you'd wash the body. Usually the ladies would do this. They would wash the body and dry it. And then they would bring spices uh, in one, in one of the, uh, the synoptics says that it was a hundred pounds of spices hundred Roman pounds of spices that the women were bringing on the first day of the week at dawn to prepare Jesus for his final burial they would take these sweet aromatic spices and they would put them in with the grave clothes as they were wrapping the body in the gra- with the grave clothes But they're not going to have the opportunity to do that for Jesus. Remember when he's crucified? It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He's dead. Joseph of Arimathea, the soldiers, proved he's dead. It's getting late. It's getting, toward, getting toward twilight. Sabbath is right here. Joseph of Arimathea goes to, the, uh, to Pilate says, can I have the body? Pilate's amazed. Is he dead already? Some is a centurion. Centurion says, he's dead. Pilate says, you can have the body. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body down. They take it to Joseph's tomb, which is nearby, obviously. And they wrap it. Joseph has to run into town quickly because the sun's going down. Can't buy or sell anything on the Sabbath. Runs into town. Buys linen runs back and they wrap the body, the bloody unwashed body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the linen and lay lay him in Joseph's tomb. And then they close it because they're going to have to wait until after the Sabbath to come back and finish honoring his corpse. And we're told also, as I said, on the first day of the week the women came, one of the synoptic says, And they had a hundred pounds of spices to do that very thing. They were going to unwrap him. They were going to wash him. They were going to then add the uh, spices to the new clean grave cloths. And they were going to wrap him back up again. They were going to prepare him for his burial. They're not going to have that opportunity. Jesus says... Mary got it. She's done this for the day of my burial. She's anointed me for the day of my burial. It it seems like Mary was more perceptive about what was going to happen to the Lord Jesus than the twelve were. She seemed to understand that this is not going to be good. That we know the power that the high priests. And the other priests and the elders and the Sanhedrin have. And they've already said if anybody knows where he is, turn him in. And he's walking right into their trap. So she's preparing him. This is the last time she's going to have an opportunity to honor him. And somehow she senses he's going to die. So she's preparing her king for a king's funeral. And that showed up the criticism. So, what does all this say to us? I mean, that's how we always have to come back. How does this apply to us? What are we to draw from this? That alabaster jar of very expensive, pure nard was the most precious possession that Mary had. And she devoted all of it. To honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the most precious possession that you have? And we might be tempted to say, Hmm, my house or my property? No, that's the most expensive possession that you have. What's the most precious possession you have? And for us men, we might say it's my daddy's shotgun. And for you ladies, we might you might say it was my grandmother's rings. Or my grandmother's earrings or, or whatever it was. But that's not right. The most precious possession that you have is you. Remember what Matthew 16 says. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The most precious possession you have is you. So when we see that God the Father gives his own precious delight, his one and only begotten son. If I can go back to Genesis, your son, your only son, the son of your love, Isaac, God's son, God's only son, The son of his heart. The one that is only begotten out of him from all eternity. The Lord Jesus. And we see him give his most precious delight up for us. And I don't need to belabor what us are. We know what we are. We know what we were. And as Eric said this morning, all of our sins were in the future. When Jesus died for them. We know what we were. And God the Father gave up his only begotten son. He handed, literally when it says gave up, he handed over to the Gentiles and to the Sanhedrin. He took his hands off his son and let him have him. And we look at that and realize he did that for us. And when we see the Lord Jesus as he is, God the Son incarnate, God become human, our creator who loved us and gave himself willingly for us. When we think about what was read to us, Mark 10.45, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In Ephesians 1 seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, Folks, the hymns got it wrong. His blood wasn't spilt. His blood was poured out. There's a difference between spilling something and intentionally pouring it out. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have, we have the forgiveness of sins. And then again, John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. What are we going to do with that? When we see that, when we see that, when in our spirit, the Holy Spirit enables us to see that. All we can do is believe it. That's that's all we can do. Believe it. What are you going to give Jesus for what he's given you? All I've got is me. Everything else I leave behind. Everything else somebody else is going to use the next day after I'm dead. It's going to belong to somebody else for them to break. All I have is me. And so what are we going to do? Say. So, so. Lord, all I am and all I have is yours. It's actually always been yours. But you have entrusted it to me. All that I am, all that I have is yours. And like Mary, we give it to him gladly. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Stand up with me, please.